Welcome to the Teacher Nerds Podcast. Joe and Ron are self-proclaimed teacher nerds geeking out on all things education. They are looking to move educational practices out of the 1900s factory worker model to a student-driven classroom full of empathetic, creative, and collaborative students willing to take risks. Join them as they chat with educators from around the world, discussing educational tools, techniques, ideas, policies, and much more. Thank you for listening and becoming one of the teacher nerds. And now a word from a sponsor. Oh, have you heard about the nerds? What's the word? Teacher nerds. You can tweet them out on Twitter. You can find them on the gram. After listening to their podcast, you'd be sitting there like, bam, trying to take the teaching from one level to the next, reaching up to Canada and down to Mexico. Gotta go, teaching nerds, start the show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Teacher Nerds Podcast. I'm Ron Nober. I'm Joe DiPaolo. I am a technology teacher for third grade to eighth grade. And I teach third grade. And today we have our guest, Jess Amato. Jess coming in from Iowa today. So welcome, Jess. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And Jess is going to be talking to us about Play. Uh, it's your company, correct, Jess? Platform to Play? Yes. So we're, we're going to jump into our icebreaker, which is uh, our two yes more, one no way. And today we're doing street or schoolyard games um, or activities. It's time for... Two, yes, more, one, no way. And I, I definitely went researching back to my Philadelphia city roots for some of these <laughs> games. So I'm excited for this one. Uh, Joe, you want to start us off? Yeah, Ron, I'll start. So <clears throat> I stuck to um, high school gym class because out of, out of everything, those, maybe it was because we were, I guess maybe more developed all together so we could play, in my opinion, better games. <laughs> I think there were better <laughs> things to play in high school. I mean, I like kickball, um, the scooter stuff I really didn't enjoy. But I, but in high school, which is where I was first introduced to one of my favorite sports, volleyball. I remember playing volleyball freshman year, and I don't know if it's because I was growing up playing basketball. Um, and instead of having 10-foot rims to try and dunk on, they were only nine-foot nets. So I was able to get above the net. You know, I was a tall, thin kid. So I really, really, really enjoyed playing volleyball um, in, in gym class. And then eventually by high school, we were playing beach volleyball and doing tournaments. So that I really enjoyed that. My second is is funny because it's a sport I didn't like playing when I played as a as a middle school uh, student. Softball. My senior year, we played softball during the last marking period, and I don't know if it was just because I liked the class that I was in, or it was just nice outside. We played early in the morning, so and love softball. Would don't want to play it now. Didn't enjoy playing it as a kid, <laughs> but senior year that that was. To me, the best gym class. Um, so keeping it with high school, the worst, we used to have to line dance. And and it it just it it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable. I I wanted to go and just, you know, we're gonna talk about playing. To me, line dance wasn't playing. You know, if if I I loved 
gym, <laughs> failed out of, oops, failed so many classes, failed, you know, failed, failed out of high school. But the only thing I loved was gym. And now I'm going to this class that I love. And for a whole marking period, I got a line dance. Um, so that was my least favorite activity, but love the other two. And if I had the time, I'd go on, you know, like I said, gym was one of my favorite classes. So there's tons of activities I could talk about, but Jess, we'll, we'll throw it to you. Do you feel, uh, do you feel strongly yeah. about playing Jess? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, this is a hard one for me because I love all activities and all play, all sports, all games. Um, that's just, it's a part of who I am. So it's actually hard for me to find something that I don't like or that I'm oh. not willing to to try or participate in. But um, one of the reasons why I love play and we'll get into it deeper, I'm sure, is you went with high school. And I, when I heard, you know, we were going to talk about, you know, kid games, I went straight to being on the playground in elementary school and mm. what the equipment was available to you in elementary school. So for my first two, my yes more, I absolutely loved. I love playing tetherball. I don't know if either of you are familiar with tetherball. It's with the big pole and then there's like the volleyball attached to the rope and you have to try to get it around or the other yep. person's trying to hit it. I absolutely love that game. I could play that game for days on end. Um, a few years ago, I was living in Santa Barbara and a little girl I was working with had one of those in her <laughs> front yard. And we that's all we played. And I was like, this is amazing because this is like my favorite game of childhood and I get to play it as an adult. And then my mm. other yes more is any version of tag. Any type of tag uh -huh. game where you're racing after each other, you're uh, you're needing to, to tag the person, tap the person, you're kind of moving around. Um, absolutely love it. You could, I mean, tag games as I've gotten older and become a recreational therapist, there's endless versions of different tag games that you can create and that you can play. So absolutely love it. And then to stick to my no way of eh, not not really so much. Growing up, I used to love the swings. However, as I've gotten older, anything that rattles my vestibular system is just no, a no-go for me. So now as I get, as I've gotten older, when I'm on the swings, that like drop that you feel in your stomach, it just makes me motion sick. So my no way is swings as an adult, oh, wow. as a kid, I loved it. But as an adult, I'm like, eh, eh, that's one I could definitely stay away from. Interesting. What what did you like about tetherball? Because I, I I hear tetherball and tag. And to me, that's like night and day. You know, you're stationary, yeah. not moving. Which is why I love play, because there's so much versatility to play. Um, I just I'm a very competitive person, but I'm not the most athletic person. Uh -huh. So for me, tetherball was something that it's just, there wasn't a lot, you didn't really need to be an athlete. A lot of it had to do with luck as well, just if you could hit the ball when it came your way. So I just liked that there was movement involved, but at the same time, I didn't need to be super athletic in order to be competitive in a physical activity. Gotcha. Very cool. So now I went I went to, like I said, I grew up in, in the city of Philadelphia. So like I went to like the games we would play in the neighborhood and one that I loved and I had to do some research because it was like vague in my head was called dead box. And it was, you drew it on the, <laughs> on the street. 
<laughs> he drew it in chalk on the street and it was this long big box and then you had all these little boxes inside and in the middle was oh. a skull and crossbones hey. and what you what you did was you had bottle caps and you had to shoot Where's the bottle caps the different numbers on the on the board without getting into the middle oh. And if you got stuck in the middle, you had to start back at one and you could knock other people into the middle. It was just a fun game. And what you did was you filled the bottle caps up with wax to weight them down and or a penny inside and wax. It was definitely an interesting game. Um, I like so that, it that it's a game where you need you need stuff for that you just find. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, I mean, I guess now it would be a little harder because every bottle cap is plastic. Mm. <laughs> but back then, like even soda bottle caps were metal mm-hmm. right so you and you had different like you would have a set of bottle caps because you might want to use a heavier bottle cap or a lighter bottle cap if you were trying to get further across the board so like there was all kinds of strategy and then knocking you know you could knock somebody off the board and shoot them down the street you could hit the bottle cap well enough you know so and wherever you were if you got knocked down the street that's where you had to play from so like you know, you could be 50 <laughs> feet off of the board. Oh, well, that's where you had to play. <laughs> um, so that's my one. I've the, never heard of that game, Ron. Oh, I got me neither. I found it. <laughs> I actually found an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer that has it. And uh, there are different versions of it. And I saw it, some of them dating back to like the 1920s. Oh, wow. In New York City, some of the play. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put the article in the wakelet for the uh the one i found in the philadelphia Inquirer. the other one was half ball uh, again like i don't know too many people may not know this but it was there were these like rubber we called them pimple balls they had little bumps on them and you would cut them in half and you would use just like a broomstick and you would pitch them almost like a almost like a disc and that's oh. that's the version of baseball you know or stick ball that you would play but it was it was half seas or half ball huh and and we you could do it with a tennis ball too anything that was like a hollow ball you would cut it in half and that's but you got different ways you could pitch it you could kind of flip it towards them so it rotate it or you could throw it like a frisbee towards the the person hitting and it was just using that and a broomstick that that was it and you, you, and your, con- you and your friends were very creative <laughs> oh, they, <laughs> and resourceful. Are, I love it. I old, love it. <laughs> old games. These are way beyond, you know, my years. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, like who, who, who came up with that game? I have no like, idea. I mean, again, like the article that I was looking at has it from like even back into like the 40s and 50s. People were play, playing half ball. But for you, like it was just something you that that's what they played on your street. Yeah, that's you know, that's what the neighborhood like, you know, the older kids played it and then we played it. And, you know, my dad introduced me to the dead box game like that's just, it was just resourceful, you know, inner city kids. That's that's mm-hmm. what we did, right. And then the one I, I did not like, I did not like wiffle ball. Um, <laughs> I, I was not a, I could never get. Like they would have on the box, like, oh, you just do this. And the ball curves and does it. It would never, I don't care how I held it, what directions I paid attention to on the box. It would never curve. Like it was just a straight ball. (laughs) So wasn't into that. 
when uh, when I was out back with the dog the other night, we have a couple of wiffle balls out back because I like to I like to try and make it curve right, or, right. or slide. Same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a, I guess there's a lot. I'm not saying I'm consistent at it, but every once in a while I can get that ball to curve. Right. But there's I, you know, I don't know. Do you do you flick your wrist? Do you do you snap it down? And then yeah, for one of them, because the thing I love about playing now YouTube. Right, like, right. Oh yeah. <laughs> how do you throw a curve with a, with a wiffle ball? <laughs> some of these kids, some of these kids are so good. Yeah. Where you know I wouldn't, and we played wiffle ball with it with kid. We uh, just our town loves uh, softball or baseball. The girls all play soft. Majority, okay. the boys all play baseball. So <laughs> when we play. With the middle school kids, you play uh, wiffle ball with these kids. These are some of the kids that can, you know, they're throwing 80 mile an hour fastballs playing softball. So they're, or, or baseball. So yeah, they're getting struck out by a 12 year old kid who weighs 45 <laughs> pounds. Like, <laughs> like keep it cool. And now we're going to take a little break, but we'll be back in a moment. Are you looking to encourage your students to think about important political, cultural, economic, geographic, and gender issues? Bring Girl Rising into your classroom. Girl Rising is a powerful film that travels the globe following nine unforgettable girls who face daunting barriers to their education, but stand up to them with fortitude and determination. Curriculum from Girl Rising includes teacher guides, project-based lessons, and issue fact sheets. There's even a Flipgrid library with over 30 topics for teachers and students. It doesn't matter whether you teach elementary school, middle school, high school, or college. Engage and empower your class. Visit girlrising.org to get started today. And now back to the show. And, and, <laughs> and I don't know if this is a good segue, but this is one of the reasons why, like any kind of competitive sports, I don't want to play now as an adult because I, I was so competitive as a kid and, and it, it built up so much emotion, like some of those competitive games, I, I choose to not participate in now uh, just because of not that I'm worried about how, you know, I'm not going to freak out, but I don't want to feel that. I don't know, anxiety or, or <clears throat> intense. I know exactly. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I am the exact same way. I mentioned that I'm very competitive. I've always been competitive and that doesn't go away. Right. When you're competitive, it's, yeah. it's a part of your blood. Right. So I stay away from competitive experiences, activities activities, situations, because I too, all it does is make me feel anxious. Like yeah. I get so worked up. I, it's not even enjoyable anymore. So it's like, you have to balance out because that's what play is all about. Play is all about you're doing it because it's fun. You enjoy it. You're motivated by it. So as soon as play brings up these negative feelings and emotions, it's not really play anymore. There's a component to play that you want it to be challenging because there's a lot of growth and room for development there. But once it becomes more negative, it's, it's not play anymore. And that kind of loses the whole purpose of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I opted out of a pickleball tournament in our, in our school a couple of weeks ago and the principal and the gym teacher, the two people that organized it, I walked into the principal's office and, the gym teacher goes, yeah, he's not playing. And the principal goes, yeah, I know she, he stinks. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. Like, you want to organize a surf trip? I'll be there at 4.30 in the morning with the van running. You don't so, want to see DePaulo freak out in the middle of the pickleball <laughs> tournament. So, yeah, he's, he's not playing. <laughs> yeah. So 
All right. Well, Jess, can you tell us so just a little bit about yourself and like, you know, your journey to where you are and about platform to play? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I'm a recreational therapist by trade. I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with recreational therapy, but uh, recreational therapy, you'll see us in the same settings working alongside physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech therapists. Our approach is to use play, recreation, any form of leisure and motivating activities to help individuals with disabilities achieve their highest potential. So it's, you know, whether you're in a school setting or you're in a hospital setting, it doesn't really matter. You're getting to know an individual, what their interests are, what their abilities are, what they want to work on. And then you're just using fun, motivating activities to help them get there. So I've been a recreational therapist for over 15 years, and I have um, my area of interest and expertise has always been working with children with disabilities. Um, I became a recreational therapist because at a very young age, my mom says I was like five years old. I was like, I want to work with kids with disabilities. No, no clue where it came from. It just kind of, I always knew, I, I always knew my purpose and my passion in life. And I always wanted to use activities to be able to connect with kids with disabilities. Mm. So um, that's pretty much what I've always done. And I've, I've developed many programs. I've worked throughout various states in the United States um, in a lot of different settings. And I always end up back working with youth. I always end up back working with children. And over, I would say, at least more than eight years of my career have been specifically working in schools as a recreational therapist. So working on students' IEPs and being a part of their IEP and inclusion plans for um, as a recreational therapy as their service. On the other side of my expertise and passion, I have a master's in community development. And that I, I, I went for my master's in community development because I'm really big on travel as a passion, as a personal passion. And I was doing a lot of trips to international countries where really developing communities throughout Ghana, throughout Vietnam, various parts in Africa to use recreation and play as a way to kind of guide inclusion of individuals with disabilities in those communities. And so I started Platform to Play as a way to merge all of my expertise and all of my passions to really be able to have my own platform for creating and guiding organizations and families and schools in creating a culture of play as a way to support and guide social inclusion, as well as just learning, any type of learning, whether it's with professionals, whether it's with students, just using play for learning. So Platform to Play is just, the, the my mission, the mission is to create awareness, autonomy, and explicit opportunity for play for all. So it's vague on purpose because play <laughs> is for everyone. So I work with schools, I work with parks and rec departments, nonprofit organizations, all as ways to guide them and their individuals and communities in meeting their highest potential. So it looks different in different, in different settings, in different um, populations. Relations, but at the end of the day, we're always playing as a way to achieve whatever goals we're trying to achieve. So, I mean, I guess play not just for kids, clearly. No, no. Play play is not just for kids. I, uh, I actually 
I would say that my the biggest approach that I have that sets me apart from other organizations is the concept of specifically guiding parents, teachers, school administrators, and various types of professionals and adults in their own playful experience. So kids are good at playing. Kids know how to play. Kids enjoy playing. It's a part of their lives. They make it a part of their own lives. Adults, as adults, we forget that play is just as important for us now as it was when we were children. It might even be more important now because as adults, we're so stressed out about just the day-to-day responsibilities and tasks that we're not present. We're not mindful of what our life is really about. We're not connecting with who we are with others as well as we were when we were children and play helps us do that. So I, my approach um, with platform to play is in order to have an impact on the children and youth of today is to help the adults in their world recognize the value of play in their own lives so that they can create and model that importance of play, no matter what your age is or what your, um, your abilities are. And you figure you can learn so much from playing, you know, but just how to interact with people, how to solve problems, you know, what to do when someone doesn't agree with you. I think there's so much that can come from it. And I guess that's those the soft skills that you talk about that you really can't teach per se. And that's and that's something I mean, and it's not novel, right? I mean, this is something we're all familiar with. Everyone knows organized sports are really beneficial because it's being a part of a team, learning how to cooperate, learning how to communicate, how to how to work with others and look at the um, the greater good of the team versus just yourself as an individual. Right. So that is that that goes with all forms of play. Play, it sparks curiosity. It encourages us to use our imagination and to step outside of our comfort zone. It allows us and this is something that I think is really important for adults. It allows us to feel be okay feeling vulnerable and taking positive risks. So when it's a playful situation, when it's a sport, when it's a game, it's an activity, we kind of push our limits a little bit further because it's what's the worst that happens? You lose or you fail. It's not as imp- it's not as stressful or doesn't seem as big of a risk as if you, you know, apply for a job that you really want that you don't get. That's that's a big risk to take, right? So or move across the country. Those are big risks to take. Whereas play allows us to kind of practice what it feels like to be taking those risks in a safe way. And so when you're talking about play, I mean, and I had mentioned this to you before we started to record, like I was the chubby, uncoordinated, unathletic kid, right? So when, when you talk about play, I think of like organized games and tournaments. So what's what specifically I guess are you talking about when when you say play or or what are the aspects that you're talking about? So I have the simplest definition of play. It is any activity that we engage in for fun. <laughs> like that's the the primary focus of it. There's there could be endless benefits that connect to or motivators that connect to play, but the number one thing is it's something that you're engaging in because you choose to engage in it and it's fun for you to engage in. And I think this is where um, this is where we have room to grow, especially in the education system. Because when we talk about integrating play into schools, we're looking at sports, right? So sports aren't for everyone. 
it's not everyone wants to participate in an organized structured sport. Some people want it. That's where you get drama club, art club, right? You get all of these other aspects of play and recreation that are other opportunities. It's allowing students to have the autonomy and freedom to explore their interests, what they're good at, what they like, what they don't like, so that they can identify what their leisure interests and abilities are. So it's providing that opportunity for structured and unstructured experiences so that kids of all ages can really form their identities based on play based on what they like, what they don't like, what they're good at, what they're not good at. I mean, I think all of us can easily look back to play and recreation in our lives and pinpoint certain strengths that we have that we were able to identify because of our engagement in certain activities. Things that were like, nope, I don't want to do it, right? Joe is like, I'm too competitive. It makes me anxious. I don't want to do it. You learned that through playing and competing. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> most most I, definitely. I don't, I, I am a motion sick person. I get very, very motion sick. So as I've gotten older, I realize not everyone feels that sick on the swings. So now I know I don't need to go on the swings. Right. So we learn what works for us, what doesn't work for us through exploring these opportunities and not looking at play just as sports and physical activity. There's so many other ways to be looking at play that it really comes down to, Ron, what do you like? What are your interests? Joe, what are your interests? Jess, what are my interests, right? And allowing us to explore those interests regardless of if they're different than the organized sports that we think of. Well, isn't it funny when you think play? I mean, because I immediately thought of what kind of sport did you want to do? But you also use the term play when you're talking about a board game. You know, or you're going to yep. play a card game or you're going to play a video game, you know, and I know there's I could assume that there's more board clubs out there than uh, esports clubs. But the esports clubs are coming, right, because there's a majority yep. of students that maybe, like you said, just not everyone is an athlete. So not everyone wants to go out for the baseball team or let's be honest, how many kids can the baseball team hold? maybe 13, yeah. you know, and, and, or how many kids can the basketball team hold? So to have something else for them to go and play in the structured environment after school, because I know what video games yeah. sound like in an unstructured environment and, you know, mm -hmm. definitely wouldn't want that for anyone really, you know, I don't care how old you are when you hear some of the things that those kids, you know, are talking about while they're playing. So to have more opportunities, I love the idea of a video game club or an e-sports e club, and I know it, it had been kicked around in our school previously, yeah. but I think those opportunities are great because whether you're in school, whether you're out school, like we were saying, play is important. You learn. Yeah. And I think so. The other thing is when we integrate, if we create a culture of play and playfulness in schools, and that doesn't mean that every half hour we're taking a break and dancing along to music, right? There's so many different things that could be happening. But when we identify that, the the, the extracurricular activities that are available to students, the recess that they're experiencing, the various ways that teachers can be integrating activities into the classroom. That is all playfulness. That is all valuing that play and interaction is really important for learning. And when we integrate that into the culture of schools, 
we are then modeling and raising children that are going to value play into their adulthood so that they can remain active. They could remain having that balance of self-care in their lives, right? I think that for so, I mean, I think for all of us growing up, it was play is for kids. So when you become an adult, it's like, if I have time, I'll play. No, we need to make time to play. Play needs to be a part of our daily routines as adults. And I think that the more that we we show that value, we're setting them up for success as they become adults themselves. Well, it, it would almost give you, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about a line uh, from it's the endless summer two, but it's about the endless summer one. Uh, Robert August is a surfer. And he talked about, you know, everyone thinks that these surfers are just bums. And what he learned from his dad is as an adult, you work hard. So you then get the opportunity to go play hard, you know, because these guys were working for X amount of days or months and then taking time off and flying some place or probably by then, uh, back then, driving down to Mexico to, to surf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the way you could do that would be through hard work. So it's almost like you instill that that value and that need to play. Um, and then as an adult, you could realize it's still there. <laughs> but there's those adult responsibilities that come along, you know, with, with life. And, and that's what we were talking about before. So to have that, though, it's not yeah. all stressful. Yeah. And as the body gets older, right, you got to keep moving. And yeah, of course. And, and our, our play changes over time. So I had referred to growing up. I love the swings. Now I want nothing to do with the swings, right? Over time, we, we learn to, you know, just like anything, our interests are evolving and changing over time. So something that we found had interest in as children or as young adults may not apply today, or something we love right now may not apply in two more months, right? So it's it's being being flexible with our own interests as they change in order to really keep that balance in our lives. And I found it interesting, like I it was crazy, but when you were just when you were introducing like the different types of play, I automatically and probably haven't thought of this in 30 years, maybe. It, you know, I'm I'm 48 years old, so I grew up in the the age of Star Wars action figures, right? I like I could vividly, as you were talking about that, a memory came back of sitting in my, you know, again, growing up in the city, we have an, had an alcove in the driveway, sitting there with friends and action figures, figures and setting up scenes of Star Wars with the action figures and the ships and the imagination and hours that you would put in to setting that up and the joy, like it automatically brought like a smile back to my face. And you think like, yeah, I guess there are some adults where that may be their joy too. Like they, they may mm. build an entire Lego set, <clears throat> you know, now as an adult, or they are collecting and playing with action figures or something like that. And for, like you said, what brings you joy may change. It may stay the same, you know, yeah. back to, to things from your childhood. I think I think that's why when I Ron, you're making me think of math class and manipulatives or science yeah. class. When like anytime we would hand something out, it'd be like, all right, everyone gets five minutes. Right now they're toys. Go play. Because <laughs> it, it's five minutes and thirty seconds, they're gonna be tools. And you know, we always say yep. you wouldn't play with a hammer at home, 
So, so we're not going to play with these manipulatives in five minutes and 30 seconds, but you get, to, and the kids go crazy with them with what I would think would be just, you know, a, a hexagon or a square, you know, they're, they're going to town and, and Ron, maybe that's it. Those are the kids that are playing with action figures and, and really having that joy. We had to talk about those star Wars action figures and, and that would be something once again, would never cross into my mind until you just said it and actually start to think about it. So maybe it is more important of a topic for schools and teachers. Well, and just think about it, like the imagination that went into that. And, and we, we just recently had on Angela Stockman, the make writing, right? Like you created a whole story, yep. but you didn't write it down on paper, right? You had characters and you had plot and action and settings and, and all of that, you know, with whatever you had blocks and twigs that you picked up and weeds and you know whatever i mean again growing up in the city it wasn't grass you know you were pulling weeds out of the crack but um it, you know like that was you set up entire scenes so i i guess so jess if we kind of go on that vein how have you seen or do you know how does play affect academic behavior in students and maybe even social, social, emotional, you know, yeah. uh, settings for students. You know, I think it's, it's, we just, it's so simple. Again, children play is how children learn. If you, we forget this. If you look at any pre-K, any kindergarten class, some first grade classes now, and when we were all in school, they're play-based. The children are playing. The students are learning by playing. We are giving them the opportunity to, to play with Play-Doh and create creatures and then use their words and learn their languages and the alphabet, right? Like we are at, at its core, when we first have children enter the education system, they're playing. And then as they get older, we, we start thinking that it's, you know, that we start forgetting that they're still children. <laughs> they still learn right. by playing. And when we create playful environments within the school system, we're providing the students with a safe space to take those positive risks and to explore on their own terms. And, you know, Joe, I think what you just said about the manipulatives and just giving them stuff and say, for the next five minutes, these are toys, you can play with them. All you're doing is you're just changing the narrative in that moment. And that is like the simplest thing that you can do that you're giving the kids the green light to play. That's right. well, why they're getting excited because they're like, wait, what? We can play? <laughs> it doesn't even matter what it is that you tell them at that point. They're just like, this is something that I can do within school. Of course, they're going to get excited about it, even if it's not their area of interest, because it's giving them that safe space to explore on their terms. And that is what is so important. And, you know, you, you talk about, you ask how it's beneficial for academics. We had already talked about the soft skills, right? I mean, play integrate in order to be successful in academics, we need to develop the soft skills to survive and navigate life, right? We're social creatures. So we need to work on how our functional communication, we need to be able to compromise, to debate, to have flexible thinking, to handle our emotions, to express ourselves in a productive manner. We need all of these things in order to be successful in school, right? Because if you don't have those skills, you're never gonna pass a class that requires a lot of group work 
for you to, you know, to get a good grade, or you're never going to be able to do partner work. You're never going to be able to handle the emotions that come up when you don't get the score on the test that you wanted to get. So play allows us to have a way of teaching the soft skills in a safe environment and a safe way so that when the risks get increased with grades and projects and reports and group work, we have some of those skills. So I think that's the first thing that I always push for when it comes to play in schools is that at the end of the day, yes, you could you could use play to teach math. You could use play in activities to teach science. Even on the side of that, we can use play to teach the skills that we need in order to be successful. I mean, patience, you could use play to teach patience. And students need patience throughout the day, right? So there's so many different ways that it connects to and supports their academic success, as well as their social and emotional health. And, you know, more and more over the last 10 years or so, there's been a lot more around social, you know, social and emotional health, social emotional learning. Now with the pandemic, that is the hot topic is social emotional learning, which is great. I don't care. I don't care what made us get there. We're there right. and it's on everyone's it's on everyone's radar. So I'm like, yes, that's the silver lining of the pandemic for me is every single school is talking about social and emotional health, which right. social and emo- I mean, you can't teach and, and you both have been, you know, teachers and like you can't you can't just teach to a test score. Right. It's you're not just teaching for that. Your students aren't going to be successful. We have to teach the whole child. And part of the academics and cognitive part comes the physical, the social, and the emotional, right? That's the whole entire child. And integrating play into the school day in itself provides opportunities for feelings of joy, feelings of accomplishment, pride, which are all things that we need to maintain a healthy mental and emotional state. So we need those successes. We need those motivators. We need those moments of of joy and happiness and reducing the stress in our lives. And that's what the students need as well in order to keep a balance for their own mental health and well-being. And that I think that is that's something that there's there's more talk about play to create those like brain breaks where it's just like, okay, let's just play just so that we're just playing, which I 100% support. I think it's so important to give all of us, including teachers and administrators, those brain breaks. I think that there should be a parts throughout every single school day that we just stop. And even if it's 30 seconds, we just take a break and do something just to have fun and to forget about, you know, to just not use our brain to that capacity. But there's also using play as a way to to, to build and support healthy relationships, creating a sense of belonging. And so all of these things help our students to navigate the social world that is school and that they live in. And that is going to support their social and emotional health, which is so important for them to even sustain to be successful in school. That's a lot. There's a lot. Sorry, I can talk about this stuff. No, no, it's awesome. And when we're talking play, so then it's more than just a recess period, you know, which I mean, a long recess is great, but incorporating it throughout the day. Would you have any ideas on maybe how to do it through through like a reading class? You know, I actually um, I was on um, 
a virtual conference a few few months ago. And one of the sessions, the ladies were, they were presenting and it was all language arts and, and reading. And it was so cool because the, the workshop was them, it was an interactive workshop and they were, they were using books to engage students and then to engage us as part of the workshop by having us physically and emotionally act out what they were reading to us. So they had a book and they were reading it to us and we were the characters that were acting it out. Very cool. And it was it was incredible because you could even you could have students take turns doing that being the reader and everyone else and or the, and the teachers have to act it out. So it's simple things like that. I think that um I think when we talk about social and emotional learning and when we talk about integrating play into the school day, I think that there's a lot of intimidation around those concepts because they seem so novel to to educators that it's like, well, that's we're stepping into a new realm. But we're really not stepping into a new realm. It's just identifying what already exists that would fall under play. So I do a lot of um, I, I offer when I work with schools, I I primarily do profession, provide professional development. So trainings directly for teachers on strategies for creating that culture of play and activities, activity ideas connected to various concepts. And then I also do a lot of program development with administrators on how to create a culture of play in your school and how to really value it. And when it comes down to it, my first step is always sitting down with the administrators and the team and looking at what the school already has and doing is identifying where they're already doing play and they're just not they're just not labeling it as play right so those extracurricular activities those clubs those sports opportunities recess um any type of special events or spirit spirit activities and events that happen throughout the year right so all i'm doing is identifying all the ways that they're already valuing and integrating play and social and emotional health into their culture and then helping them see if you're already doing it, it's just a matter of expanding on it and providing resources and time for teachers to be able to collaborate and really just bounce ideas off of each other. Because Joe, I think in the couple of times I've spoken to you, you've told me so many, so many cool things that you've done for your students and they're simple 30 seconds, like, let's just do this. It's not, it doesn't take a lot of resources. It doesn't take a lot of your time. It doesn't take a lot of tools. It's just saying one thing different to the students that gives them that green light for exploring and for playing. Well, you know, there's there's so much talk just about rigor in the classroom and the curriculum, um, <clears throat> but there's so much more to it than just grading a student on a, on a standard. That's a tough fight though. You know, you know, it's, and I, and I'm, I'm swinging and I'll go, I'll go down swinging. Um, But I, you know, I mentioned to our students the other day and I, and I said it and I said, I probably shouldn't have said that. I said, but I don't care about grades. I, and, and they looked and the one kid smiles and I, and, and I've told all the parents, I failed health class my junior year. I went to summer school for health and U.S. history yeah. uh, one summer. Like grades don't make you or break you. What makes you is how much did you grow as a learner this year? You know, and I'm not even talking, oh, I came in at an N reading level and now I'm an O. 
I'm talking about, you know, growing as a person and, and, and just, you know, I never liked, uh, we had a kid who, you know, we, Jess, we were talking, we do a lot of those maker projects and we want fun activities to, to see what you can do and see where your creativity is and see those soft skills. Can you work with someone else? Can you exchange ideas? <laughs> can you be critiqued and, and grow from that critique <laughs> or are you going to shut down? And we, we saw a student who wasn't doing things before and wasn't trying and then would start kind of like faking things and then kind of get into it, but then throw it away. Um, so we've seen this kid go from, I'm not doing it to now, who Mr. Apollo, like, look at this. And, and, you know, when, when we tried to not critique it as a class, but, you know, we threw it up there on the smart board, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, he wasn't ready to sit there and let people know what they thought of it. But just the fact that he went from not doing anything to now like, hey, I'm going to try it to now, oh, look at like just the growth in general. And and that was just one kid. And then the confidence where I stink at math to now, oh, let me show you how to do it. And, you know, I just think there's more than just a, a stamp because if they stamp me as a failure in, in high school, I mean, that was 25 years ago. So I so am I done growing? You know, I have, I have friends yeah. that have been told you'll never amount to anything. Hence why? Because because I because <laughs> I didn't do your assignment the way you wanted me to. I didn't read your article in the amount of time you wanted me to and answer enough questions. I just, I think it's it's sad that it's sad that it's sad that kids have to go through that. And that's you know ten months out of the year to to struggle like that and to you know you said play is enjoyment. So to not have that enjoyment or to not yeah. find an enjoyment because you kill recess at and art and in our district, sixth grade. So sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, the kids don't have time to go out and play. Now they might have gym two periods a week, maybe Ron, is that how they do it? Or they, they, you know, have, they, they have it every day. They'll have. Okay. So, so gym day. does increase. Yeah. Um, but I think that's well, once they get, you know, they, they start to take play away and, and you would talk before they start playing and, and Ron and I have talked before about those charts where kids' excitement about school when they start in kindergarten is up here, and it's a downward yep. slope. <laughs> yeah, it's like play well, stops working. And that's you know I think and everything that you're saying is going to you know the fact that the education system has always been one kind of way, and the education system used to be set up was originally set up in a way to help us be successful when we went into jobs and and what type of work we'd be doing. And we need to evolve with that because work does not look the same anymore. Our society has changed. It is changing every minute. And we need to be raising our students the same way that we see society evolving and changing. And, you know, with technology today, students don't need to memorize the facts that we needed to memorize because you can Google it everywhere. Math doesn't need to be so complex at all points because we all we all do have calculators. I, I'm sure both of you have seen that meme where it was like, here's to every teacher that always told me I wouldn't I wouldn't have a calculator in my back pocket at every time. And it's like it's like a picture of a smartphone. It's like we all have calculators, right? So it's figuring out um, what I'm seeing, and I do a lot of work um, at the university level. I, I teach at the university level as well. And I'm seeing university undergrad students that come to me and once they're in my classes, they're just they're just looking for, tell me what to do, tell me how you want it to be done in order to get an A. And it's like, that's not setting you up for success 
in life because no job is going to be like, this is what you need to do exactly how you need to do it. And I'll give you a passing grade. That's just not how the real world works. That's not how it works to navigate conflicts within your, you know, within, with your coworkers or with your supervisor we're never getting graded and we're, we get graded, but it's not like an A, B, C, D, or E, right? It's a up, come back and try it again. Here's some edits. Let's make it right next time, right? Whereas within school, we're saying you get one and done. You take the test. If you get a bad score, you get a bad score. There's no opportunity for them to learn from their mistakes and then make it right the next time as there is in the real world. So I think that we need to look at how to really have the education system match the society and the success of being a part of society in a productive way. And I do believe that play and integrating more opportunity for students to explore on their own terms is going to offer them more success for achieving those outcomes. Well, and I I think you know, kind of like what what you were saying there, if teachers or somebody listening to this who doesn't incorporate play or is worried about, like Joe said, the rigor, like if you just take little parts of your day and and start to figure out, like, you know, I, I loved what you were saying about acting out the book, right? Because then you take that reluctant reader who doesn't want to read in front of anybody. They want to read because they want to see Mr. DiPaolo act out this scene from the book, right? Like they want to see what I wish we weren't reading because of Win Dixie. We're in such a heavy part where they're talking about characters losing like five year old little brothers. Just you're talking like, damn, I I can't. So I'm thinking, what can I do as a read aloud (laughs) so we can play around and do something? Yeah, something. I mean, that's Ron, not to cut, but that's right. Like the kids would eat that up. Yeah. And it's just, well, it's, and it's connecting emotion. It's connecting emotion to the content, right? It's making the content relevant. It's bringing it into your own world of how it's relevant for you. And again, like it's, it's just, it's a very simple way to introduce that play. And I was even thinking, Joe, when Jess, when you started to talk about like just integrating it into little things, like I, I started to think back to a guest we had named Ira Sokol, who talks about like the only place where they make you walk in a straight, quiet line other than school is prison, right? (laughs) Like that's it, right? Like he talks about that. And then Ellen Deutscher and she had mentioned like classroom management through play, right? Instead of walking down the hallway in a quiet, straight line, Ellen had talked about, well, what if we do it? We're going to do it quietly, but we walk down the hallway as an amoeba form. So it's not in a straight line, but like everybody's kind of just moving along kind of, but they have to do it as a group because it's an amoeba and they, it moves as a, as a unit, one unit, but like just incorporating little bits of play, how much more you would get out of the students and you probably the students get out of each other kind of going, come on, you're not acting like an amoeba here, (laughs) you know, like trying to get them to do it as well or mindset switch. Yep from the the teacher or the educator of how can I just turn this around and just make it a little bit more enjoyable, fun, playful. And it helps and and it helps you do your job. It helps make your job easier, right? So as a recreational therapist, I'm always the fun one, right? So like when whenever I'm a part of any team meeting or anything, it's like, oh well you have a really good relationship with the students. And I'm like, yes, because 
we are playing. We, we, we have a different relationship than teacher. I have a different relationship than most teachers do with their students because I'm getting down to their level. I'm getting to know them as individuals. I'm getting them to see a little bit of who I am as an individual. I'm showing my vulnerabilities. I'm being silly and I'm creating a certain kind of relationship that way that I need to ask of them, that I need them to follow through on that they don't want to do, they're more willing to do it because it's this mutual trust and respect within our relationship, right? And as, you know, engaging teachers, and and many of you exist where you're incredible teachers that are all about building that relationship and engaging with your students, that is because it helps you be the best you can be for your students when you have that relationship with them. So, integrating playfulness and activities and just time for exploration or for student-led learning, integrating that throughout the school day, throughout a school culture, throughout an entire school is going to help all teachers to do their job, for their students to be successful, for the students to want to be there, to be engaged. I mean, it's a win-win for everyone. It's just a matter of, and, and a lot of teachers, their, their comments to me when I do PDs is, this is great. You have my buy-in. I want to do it. I don't feel that I have the autonomy right. and, and I'm not actually allowed to do this. And so it comes from both ends of administrators and educators of truly seeing the value and knowing that it's not one extra thing on your plate. It's there to support you with what you already have on your plate. Right. I, I think the most important time to do it is September, right? Because you talked about building yep. those relationships, which is the utmost important thing to do if you want the, the kids to ever do anything that's remotely difficult. So to me, that's what September's for. And I think it's great because you're doing, Jess, you're doing all that in a fraction of the time, right? Yeah. You know, like because you might get the kid one period a week or a half an hour a week where like as, yeah. a, as, a, as a third grade teacher, shoot, I have a solid six hours with these kids. So, so yeah. you know, and, and our administration's great. They know relationships before rigor. Um, and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we spend, I know my classroom was all September. These are the norms. These are the routines. This is the way this is going to go. This is the way that's going to go. And we're going to do it and we're going to learn it all in a way that's kind of fun. So scavenger hunts or, you know, through any kind of just fun games, but you, you, you hit the the key word relationships, which we all need. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. As (laughs) still as an adult. Yep. Most definitely. I, you know. I need help with that. Well, I think the great thing is if people listening to this podcast is coming out in July. You you have a little bit of time to to think about like, oh, how can I incorporate a little bit of play into what I'm going to be doing in September? You know, it's a, it's a great, great time to think about it, at least. Most definitely. Yeah, I was going to say. And it's also um, one of the things. Oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say one of the things that I'm always um, pushing in any of my PDs or any anything that I do um, is really the fact of kids want to play. They want to be involved. They want the autonomy. So getting the students involved in how to integrate playfulness and activities into the school, into the day, use them. Like, I mean, students are creative and they're motivated. So if at the beginning of the year, you're like, 
we are going to make sure we play for at least one minute every day. How could this look for us, right? And have the students be a part of developing that type of culture and expectation within your classroom, giving them the extra work. So you don't even need to come up with the activities. If you want to start every day with a fun activity, have the kids throw a bunch of ideas into a hat. Every day you pull out an idea and that's what you do. You don't even need to be planning it. Have the kids be involved and have them do the work. <laughs> Make them do the work. And, and you can even integrate some learning into that whole process as well. You know, it's it's funny. One, we, we always try and involve the kids and, and every, not every, but a lot of the decisions made for our classroom. And one little girl came up with something. You know, they all came up with great ideas this year and but one little girl's idea for these row cards and it stinks because she just came up with it like in the beginning of June, totally changed the dynamics. You know, when we ask kids to clear their desks, if your row does it quickly, you get stickers. And at the end, you know, whoever's card has, and I'm like, Sophie, this, and this was a girl that was so difficult in the beginning of the year. I'm like, listen, not for anything. I'd love to use this idea next year. And it's like this girl, she filled out her own Google form with uh, rewards. Cause I'm like, look, I, I, we can't go out and buy rewards. So what are some things you guys like? She came up with all these ideas. She's writing things down on paper so the kids can go and pull them out of the hat. So it's like, yeah, they, you, they have not only the ideas, but the, the go get itness, I guess is what, you know, the fire to, to bring it forth because when you show them, this is your classroom and we want you to be a part of it. Yeah. It can, the sky's the limit. Yeah, and how proud she must have felt, right? Like as a as a class, you you followed through on her idea, right? So just the pride that she must have felt from that experience. That's going to be something I guarantee you. Thirty years from now, when she talks about, oh, what's something that you remember from school? It's going to be that moment. You know, I I hope so. And Ron and I have talked before about her on the podcast a couple a couple of podcasts ago. So a few months ago, uh, her and another little girl wanted something done in the school. So I said, all right, well, we're using persuasive writing. You got you to gotta put something together to go talk to the principal. Oh, we can't. And, and so like that was, I guess, sometime in November or December. She's been there like three times now to the principal's office <laughs> and not because she's got, I mean, she does get in trouble. She's feisty. But, you know, it's, so what's funny is like the mom was so worried in the beginning of the year and, and what the. I, I work in an inclusion classroom. So the special ed teacher and I, we, we see these great characteristics in her. Like she's powerful. She's, she's passionate. Um, she's not afraid to back down. So those are great qualities in a leader. And mm-hmm. we're trying to foster these opportunities to where she can. So, so to, so to push these strong, powerful women to, to run a group and to, to be confident enough to say, listen, this is what I think you should do. This is what I think you should do. You know, I think in third, this is where they have to learn how to do it. So when they do get yeah. into the real world, you know, they, they, those qualities aren't beat down. Um, she can be assertive, but in, in a, in a good manner where she's come yeah. a long way. So it's just really cool to, to give them those opportunities and to see them flourish. And it, and it starts well, from I think relation- the same thing. Yeah. The same thing goes, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. The same thing goes with individuals that aren't, that are, they prefer to be a leader, giving them the opportunity to not be the leader, to see what it feels like and be mm. able to handle the emotions that, that come up with it. Right. Because you have individuals that in third grade, you have kids that I'm sure are always taking charge and they have a hard time 
at listening to their peers and giving their peers a chance to, you know, come up with the ideas and follow through on their ideas. So these are all, there's so many different ways that we could incorporate these types of opportunities and experiences into the education system so that they have these skills as they go into the real world and, you know, become a bigger part of our global society. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's what we're, we need, right? I mean, we, we need all those communicators and all that in, in our world. Well, it's college and career readiness, right? And, and not for anything, I'm, I'm doing it for selfish reasons. This is the generation that's going to be taking care of me you know, like, <laughs> when I'm older and, and need all that help. These are the kids that are going to be doing it. So yeah, I want them compassionate. I want them caring. I want them th- thinking critically about things. Yeah. <laughs> Should we feed Mr. DePaulo today? Or <laughs> um, so Jet, I wanted to ask just about, I know you said you do like staff development and PD, you know, and I, I know just from watching our, our staff sometimes, like, you know, if, if during a PD day, somebody's like, Hey, we're going to do some play today. Like you can see, like, people are like, Oh, like, I can't believe we're going to, how do you, how do you deal with, how do you get the staff kind of excited and, and ready to participate? Like, are there certain activities that you do with the staff to, that, you know, loosen people up a little bit more than others or, you know, are there activities that you try and shy away from? Right, right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, that's a really good question. And it's it's hard to answer because everything is designed based on the individual group that I'm working with. So I try to gather as much information about the group that I'm going to be working with so that I can figure out the my approach and how to get their buy-in right away. Um, one of the first things that I always say, and this is in person or virtually, is I always make it You know, I think the people that say, oh, no, I don't want to play. It's because they think of play as physical movement. So especially when I'm leading things in person, they hear it's play and interactive. They're like, you're going to have me running around. So right off the bat, before I even finish the sentence, I assure them just because we're playing does not mean it's going to be like a physically, you know, challenging activity that we're doing. Um, The same way that I... Yeah, we're not we're not running laps. We're not. We're just going to play a fun game. So I my strategy is I start with some um, less intimidating activities and then build up to, you know, to the ones that are a little bit more involved and difficult once we're an hour into it and I have their buy in and they're they're familiar with me. But something that is really important is I um, so as a recreational therapist, I never take that hat off. So I lead every single staff training PD the same exact way that I lead my sessions with individuals with and without disabilities. So it's, I respect the fact that not everyone is going to be very outspoken. Not everyone is going to be highly engaged. Not everyone is going to be extremely responsive to, to the conversations and the activities and the discussions. And, and I respect that because I know what it feels right? Like being a student, when you're called out in the middle of class, when you're just not confident and not comfortable, that doesn't make anyone feel good. So I really do. um, I value the concept 
concept of inclusion and respecting everyone's strengths and their areas for, you know, being more uncomfortable and, and where they feel vulnerable or not throughout all of my staff trainings. And then I figure out ways to kind of to play with that and, and use it to my advantage. But I think that's probably the number one thing is going at their pace and providing them the autonomy to jump in based on when they do feel comfortable. Because as you both know, as teachers, just because a student isn't very vocal doesn't mean they're not engaged, doesn't mean they're not listening and following. So I'm constantly assessing and evaluating those things. But, you know, I try to start everything with a low risk activity that's that's fun and in now. It's a very, very simple game that we could all play. And um, it's very simple doesn't take a lot of time. It can take as long or as short as we want. And it's called the haha game. And it's really simple. All we are going to do is we're going to see how high we can count. And instead of using numbers, we're using ha's. So one would be ha, two would be ha ha, three would be ha ha ha, <laughs> and so on and so forth. The point of the game is it's like a simple icebreaker, gets you to laugh because you're obviously we're going to mess up. That's the whole entire point. And it's you can't say ha ha multiple times without turning into a giggle. <laughs> so I'll start us. Each of us are just going to take turns. So we'll just go just keep going and we'll see how high we can go before we mess up. Ha. Ha ha. Whoever wants. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> ha 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 oh man see you went off beat so i think i'm eight <laughs> i know i did that on purpose <laughs> i can do this i'm i'm musically gifted here we go ha 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 ha, ha. <laughs> i might be tone deaf <laughs> But I can keep that beat. <laughs> All right. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, so now you're bringing in math because it's multiples of three. <laughs> uh, that's and that's how I'm yeah. you, it, yeah. you know what? Here we have a math game. <laughs> there you go. Ha, 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 <laughs> Wait a minute. I lost count. <laughs> so I know I would be 11, but I don't trust that was 10. <laughs> Yeah, where's you the referee and all that? I use my fingers. I don't know. You know what we need? We need a counter. We need a counter. There I wonder. Oh, this is a new app, so it's going to be the Ha Ha Game by Jess Amato, and, and we're going to have this counter. Oh man! And as you ha, it'll count. Because yeah, that's how high have you ever gotten up, Jess? I I don't know. I probably. I mean, I've done it with pretty large groups. I would say I've gotten. I got a, a decent sized group. I think we got up to like 15 or 16. Oh, so the opposite. That's but not high at all. You can even play with it. No, because, well, you end up, I mean, you could even play it where you have to see how high you can get without laughing, right? Well, so right. it's like how, you know, to just do ha ha's without laughing. And I think there's just, there's so much that you can do with it. And it, it's what I love about games like this is it encourages in a positive way everyone to stay focused on the same task and to be present, right? Mm. Because you can't tune out. Because if you tune out, you're losing your spot and you don't know what number you are. 
I could see this in our again, class. Like everybody's smiling. Everybody, right? Like you can feel like just the weight almost come off of you as you did that. Yep. Yeah, and a simple yep. way. And you could even see as soon as I said, as soon as I said we were going to play a game, you know, I saw Joe got he like he moved his body and he's like, all right, I'm preparing, I'm getting ready, right? right? Well, and like, you know, sometimes you'll see the faces of people like I don't want to play or what what is this game going to entail? So you know, it's all about your and as a recreational therapist, I have a lot of experience with facilitation and leading games and activities in a way that you know that really meet people's energy and and what they're willing to do or not willing to do but it allows it even allows us as as adults again to be able to be reminded of just in those couple seconds of doing that how many benefits we could point out connected to that game for ourselves for our students just skills that we were working on and that was what a 30 second game well that's what I was just thinking like I mean what an easy way to start a class before you're having, you know, something kind of intense to just relax everybody a little bit. Or not that I promote state testing in any way, but, <laughs> it, you know, before you would take like a high stakes test, just to kind of like relax you and kind of just take your mind off of it. Something simple. and yeah. easy. Or build a bond, right? Because yeah. you want that kid behind right. you. To, to get those however many haws to keep it going. So you're rooting for them, you know, right. like, I, yeah, so uh, we should be writing yeah. this down. And something that I use, um, I use play really as a tool to help individuals. And I use this in my PDs, but I also, as a recreational therapist, I've always used this with my students. You use play as a tool for talking, to bring up some important talking points and concepts to to be able to have individuals reflect back on, right? So if we play this game with with students or even just during a PD, being able to then say like, okay, what, what feelings did you have? How would you connect this to, you know, experiences throughout the school day? What types of strategies did we use, right? So I was using my fingers. You know, everyone has different strategies that they could be using, but it allows us to now use the um, the experience that we all had together to connect it to some really important key concepts that we need to, whether it's academic-based or looking at our soft skills or just relating it back to life in general. And you feel, just after that little bit, I just feel better. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. it was 30 seconds of a silly thing, but you, you just feel better. Well, it wasn't 30 seconds about stressing about right. parent calls or stressing about getting grades in or. Well, know, I think, like just said, like you, you, because you had to concentrate on the ha-has, you had to be present, right? So like all the, well, what if this happens or, oh, I got to do this or none of that's on your head because you got to be in the present moment. And know? it was, you were able to yeah. be in the present. But you present weren't stressed about the present moment. Right. Or, right. or you weren't sitting there having to sit still quietly. Which how some of the times, you know, when you start to bring in mindfulness, it's it's a lot of sitting. And, and so as, as mm -hmm. maybe a student that doesn't want to sit quietly, you have that opportunity, like you were saying, you're counting. So there's still some type of movement or tactile involvement, man. I'm, and the more the people, the, no, the, the crazier it can the, get. <laughs> or the tougher because yeah. <laughs> because it was pretty simple yeah. i just started counting ahead like i'm like i know you're this so i'm not even listening but once it got up to a hot to a higher number i started worrying <laughs> number one am i going to be able to do it but do i have to do it because did she, <laughs> did just do it right so now it's oh yeah 
There's a lot going I on. I once did this, uh, one of the groups I did this with once, um, I think it was a parent group that I led. And one of the parents just, all they did was they saw how many people were, it was virtual. They saw how many people were on the screen. And after their first turn, they knew what number they were. So then they just kept multiplying their own number. So they all, they just, they just knew what number they were <laughs> 10 numbers out because they just multiplied their own number. And I was like, that's genius. But again, our brains work differently. And I think it allows us to, to open up that conversation, right. About the fact that we all experience the world completely different than each other. We could be experiencing the same exact moment. Everything's exactly the same, but we're bringing something different to the table. So we're coming back with a different perspective, no matter what. And it's so important for us to be able to teach that from such a young, young age, to be able to understand perspective, to look at things from other people's perspective and know that they have a different perspective than you, mm. because that's probably the number one thing with conflict resolution, right? Is that I can't see what you see. You can't see what I see. So we're just going to keep butting heads about it rather yep. than our brains all work a little bit differently. I, I just want to ask, is there anything that you wanted to highlight that we didn't, we didn't get to talk about be, before we kind of start to wrap up? You know, I think we had a conversation uh, previously before we started recording that was really connecting it to um, students, learn, students with disabilities and inclusion. And I do want to, um, just because in soul goes back to inclusion, no matter, no matter what I'm doing and what I'm talking about, it's always connecting back to the importance of inclusion in our society and in our world. And I, one of the things that I want to, just for anyone listening, that I, that I want to really stress is the fact that, you know, students with disabilities benefit the same as students without disabilities, right? Like the benefit is the benefit. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person. There's there's all the benefits there. But one of the things that is really, really important, I've been a part of a, um, a grant with Arizona State University the last couple of years on using recreation as a way to guide inclusion in the schools in Arizona. And I think it's so important for us to all understand that when we create a safe space for play and engagement and really creating that sense of belonging and connection through activities and through play, it allows us to do is break down the barriers which exist for the, the stigmas around disability. So, so often there's a stigma around disability that students with, you know, individuals with disabilities can't do this, or they don't want to do that, or they're not good at this, and they don't like that, or that's just not for them. And the more that we, uh, we create an environment where we allow individuals with various abilities and just differences to come together and play and engage with one another, we're breaking down the barriers and over time, lessening the stigma that goes with diversity in general, not even just disabilities, but diversity and, and all of our differences. And, and I think it even goes to just students to teachers, teachers to administrators, students to administrators. When we all experience those shared positive experiences through play and engagement and activity, we are removing our labels, removing our titles, and just seeing each other as we are. And the more that we, you know, students can interact with administrators like that or staff to, to administrators or staff to students, 
we are allowing ourselves to recognize that we're all more similar than we are different and to embrace and appreciate our differences rather than judge them. So I just want to speak to that. I just wanted to speak to that, that quickly because play and recreation can really help us in building healthy relationships across the diversity that we all experience in our, in our lives. Kind of beautifully said too. <laughs> I, I, say I, that, I, I love that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Beautifully put. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and I, I mean, not trying to say we, we need to stop, but like to me, like an awesome way to kind of wrap up the entire conversation that we just had. Like it was it, it really like purpose driven, right? The, the, there is an absolute 100% purpose to all that play and all the, the talk that we just had. So yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Play doesn't just happen. We need to create, we need to create the space for it. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, did you have anything before we wrap up? Well, just to even just say, you know, thank you, Jess, for coming on. Um, You know, it was great talking. And uh, just what you just said, make the space for it. The fact that we played that ha-ha game in less than a minute, you know, and and look where we went from. I mean, we we were having a good conversation to begin with. Let's, you know, like, but just think how much better that in between reading class and writing class or language arts and math to, to just lighten the mood. Um, we, you know, I guess as, as middle school teachers and the high school teachers, I know there's short blocks of time, but to bring it in there, I think you'd benefit so much more in the end. Yes. I mean, I, I know you do do PD. So where can people get in touch with you if they want to follow you on social media or website? Do you want to highlight that for everybody? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, my website is platform2play.com. Just spelled that one word. And you could actually sign up. You could sign up to receive certain notices and things on that, but you could actually contact me directly through that. Um, You could also follow me. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And the handle is at platform2play. Again, out one word. If anyone wants to contact me directly, just via email, you can actually reach out to me. Um, the website, the email address I use for that is connect at platform to play.com. So if anyone just wants to email me, they could just use connect at platform to play.com. Awesome. So Jess, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'm so glad you and Joe connected with the uh, same here initiative that you were part of. And I can't thank you enough for for highlighting it and just how awesome I think it is. And I I hope everybody gives play a chance in their classrooms. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you both for valuing play enough to have this conversation tonight. I think it's, you know, I I always it always puts a smile on my on my face whenever I meet people that are like, yes, I want to talk about this. I value this. Um, So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to hopefully working with both of you in your school. Teacher nerds, knocking on your door. Open up, let's take your teaching further than before. Give it a try, don't be shy, there's nothing there to lose. Worst thing that happens, kids get pain on their shoes. We're talking teacher nerds. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Teacher Nerds Podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor, or anywhere you listen. When you subscribe, be sure to give us a review and tell a friend. Visit us at teachernerds.com. Follow us on Twitter at teachernerds, on Instagram 
at Teacher Nerds Podcast, or email us, teachernerds at gmail.com. And remember, we're nerds with a Z. Most importantly, thank you for listening and becoming one of the Teacher Nerds.